Think He Was Cool podcast is a recorded and produced show from Toronto, Canada. If you want to support the show, you can go to patreon.com forward slash the GameCube is cool to find our $1 and $5 a month tiers. Special thank you to our Patreon supporters for the month of February. I Rebel, Dan Wagner, Jed Winters, Joey Sirico, Resident Evil Collector, Tristan Pantorato, Wilshire, and White Wind Wolf L. The GameCube, GameCube was cool. Hosted by Mike Lane and Neil Gilbert. Mike, thank you so much for joining me today. I have a question to get the uh, the episode started for you. Have you ever finished an eraser or like a bottle of whiteout? You know, like that's the stationary things. I don't ever remember a time when I was just like, well, this eraser's finished. That's a really good question. I've definitely finished erasers on pencils before, of course. Sure. And you like you you wear that eraser down to the bone. Like it's barely functioning by the time you're done with that pencil. First day of school, it's gone. Like it's it's snapped off. It's yeah. I remember in school, like people you could hear it when someone was like trying to erase something and all they had left was that smooth surface of an eraser that was left on the end of their pencil because like they were just trying to scrape out every little bit that they could. I also live in twenty twenty two, so I don't have an eraser ever on me because why would no. i ever need it <laughs> i haven't dude i haven't used a pencil since i finished high school it's awesome i love pens yeah and well I, i'll use a pencil for my sketches and stuff for when i for work because uh, i'm a designer right mm. but uh that's the only time that i think i'll ever like erase something and that's only with my yeah with my like lead pencil that i use here, Mike, I have a tip for you. Just don't make any mistakes and you'll never need an eraser. But yeah, it's, it's crazy. Like we used to have like Staples or whatever. I think the Staples brand was the one that I bought the most. It was like a little two inch piece of rubber that like you'd like rip off and give pieces to your friends. But I never remember actually like finishing one. You just lose them. I drew on mine all the time. I still have oh, ones yeah. in like an old pencil case somewhere with all these little drawings on them. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I used to do that too. Doodle on it. We we used to like type like or we used to write like yes or no on either side, and like you'd ask it questions and then flip it like a coin. Uh, so you'd treat it like a dice, and uh, that was a ton of fun. I I used to like sticking pieces of lead in an eraser and then giving it to somebody so that when they try and erase, they're just drawing more pencil on their sheet. <laughs> I also like that we call we always call them lead pencils, but there there's obviously no lead in them. It's uh, no. it just uh, I guess it's graphite. I think that's what it actually is. Uh, but so. it, but I, I like that. I guess at some point there was lead in pencils, which is kind of messed up to think about. <laughs> yeah, well, at one point, Mike, we didn't care about the health of children. So <laughs> that is true. <laughs> that is true. Yeah, I'll tell you what we do care about, Mike, and that is Nintendo Financial Times, more commonly known as our NFT segment. And we have a cool topic to talk about today. It's the NFT report with Here Mike Lane and Neil Gilbert. Yes, it is. That's a really fleshed out jingle now. Yeah. <laughs> Welcome back to the NFT report. Uh, a lot of people have been telling me that stands for something else, and I just say they're crazy. Uh, yeah. And in this segment, the Switch has officially hit uh, over 100 million units sold, which means that it's past the Wii for the best-selling home console of Nintendo of all time. Yeah, Mike, that was huge news this week. Uh, 103 million units, to be a bit more exact. I'm sure it's off now, but uh, it's putting it just below the PlayStation 4 at 117 million. But outselling the Wii was crazy news for me. I honestly did not think Nintendo was going to do Wii numbers again personally, just because the Wii was just such a lightning in a bottle experience. It had the motion controls, it had Wii Sports, and I didn't know that the Switch was going to come out with anything uh, as groundbreaking as as like any of the Wii 
like launch titles like like Wii Sports is really the one that most people think about and that's what sold it because the Wii ended up in retirement homes and schools and nurseries and everything but the Switch has just a lot of great games and it's just kind of chipped away the last five years so yeah huge milestone this week really proud of them huge milestone the next milestones for Switch would be PS4 sitting at 117 and then for Nintendo the next milestone would be uh, 119 million for the Game Boy uh, which I definitely think the Switch can hit uh, they already said that the our uh, Nintendo has already said that the Switch is basically in its midlife point, which is uh, actually good news in my opinion. Uh, some mm-hmm. people can take that as they will, but I think let's not make a Wii U again. Like we, right. <laughs> let's not make that mistake again. Let's just make the console better, put different versions out. That's fine. I think upgrading it is the way to go. And um, Neil, we have the top ten games. Not much has changed. Of course, Mario mm-hmm. Kart 8, 43 million uh, units sold. Uh, which is just ridiculous. Animal Crossing coming in at That's 37. Uh, and then we have Smash Bros., Breath of the Wild, Pokemon Sword and Shield, uh, Mario Odyssey all sitting around 27, 23 million copies. And then we mm-hmm. have Mario Party, Super Mario Party, I should say, at 17. Uh, Pokemon Let's Go uh, at 14.3. Brilliant Diamond makes its debut on this list, uh, which oh. just came out in uh, around the holidays in 2021 so that's already at 14 million which is really crazy to me and uh does does that also count shining pearl too, yes that yes stat? Yeah, yeah okay yeah. so yeah pokemon always does that like they always end up on the top 10 oh yeah you know? always and that's why yeah. uh rcs is probably going to be on here very shortly and uh ring mm-hmm. fit is holding strong at at 10 and splatoon got knocked off splatoon 2 is now no longer in the top 10 yeah, that, that's all right. Splatoon, a great series. I love Splatoon. Splatoon 3 is on the way, so we'll see what that mm-hmm. does. I'm assuming that you're right. Uh, Pokemon Arceus will knock Ring Fit off. Uh, it'll be interesting to see if it does better than Brilliant Diamond and Let's Go, because those those are two games each. I mean, Arceus is just the one game, though, so it'll be interesting. And Sword and Shield at $24 million, so that's going to be tough to, to beat. That's just crazy, and I didn't know that Sword and Shield was that popular. I can't believe it's fifth on the list. That's incredibly impressive numbers no other console is doing this right now like there's nothing like this on playstation 5 or even ps4 or the xbox one or series x like these numbers are just insane like to have a mario kart 8 which is almost one out of every two switches it's (laughs) closer to one of every three now it's it's absolutely unbelievable so uh keep it going and nintendo please put out mario kart 9 please 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 we are begging you we are begging you um and the last little couple things here i wanted to say animal crossing is now the best-selling Japanese video game uh, of all time, which is insane to me. This has sold more. So before Super Mario Bros. on the Famicom was the highest-selling game in Japan, and Animal mm. Crossing just uh, just dethroned it. So I thought that was a really interesting stat. How do they classify it as a Japanese, like the best game sold in Japan? That's or, right. Okay, gotcha. Because I was thinking like Mario Kart 8 is also a Japanese <laughs> game. Everything on here is Japanese game, technically. <laughs> so it's the highest selling game in Japan ever. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So they're clearly not buying GTA 5 out there. Clearly not. <laughs> and then this one, you predicted this, Neil, but uh, I don't think you thought it was going to come this fast. Metroid Dread has officially become the highest selling Metroid game of all time. Yeah, I'm, I'm surprised that it came this quickly. You're right, but I'm not surprised that it happened. That's for sure. Because like Pikmin 3 on Switch is the best-selling Pikmin game. It just keeps happening over and over. <laughs> Only 3 million it, copies. That's all it needed. Didn't take much, no. <laughs> and Metroid is a traditionally a very low-selling franchise. So I'm glad to see Metroid Dread is doing so well. I still haven't picked it up yet. So I'm going to have to kick up those sales numbers very soon. You'll be 3 million and 1. <laughs> I'll be the 3 million and 1. And then they're just going to stop selling units after that. They're like, all right, we got them. Let's move on to Metroid Prime 4. 
And speaking of Metroid Prime 4, Mike, this leads perfectly into our Patreon topic of the week. Listeners, remember, if you want to support the show on Patreon, you can do so by going to patreon.com forward slash the GameCube was cool. Supporters at the $5 or above level get their names read in the credits and the option to submit an opening topic, just like Jed Winters did this week. Jed says, what are your predictions? Again, we're looking for wildest dreams and realistic expectations for Nintendo's 2022 fiscal year. Uh, now, listeners, if you don't know, Nintendo's fiscal year actually goes from April 1st to March 31st. I think I know what Jed was getting at here, probably just Nintendo's year ahead. Uh, but technically, most businesses don't go by the calendar year, uh, just like Nintendo. They start on April. So we're still two months out from the fiscal year. But anyway, Mike, let's go through our wildest dreams and realistic dreams for Nintendo for the next 12 months or so. I'll let you go first. Sure. So, uh, so I think uh, I'll start with wildest dreams because I just let's okay. just get that out of the way. Uh, <laughs> we have GameCube <laughs> Online being announced for 2023. Uh, Nintendo reacquiring Rare which I thought was a fun one. Nice. Uh, the Mother Collection gets a release for Switch. Uh, mm. <laughs> that one was funny because <laughs> I saw a tweet yesterday that I loved, which was uh, all the times that Nintendo has acknowledged Mother's existence. <laughs> and it's just one tweet, and it's Lucas being added to uh, Smash Bros. <laughs> yeah, they don't. They, I don't know what it is about the Earthbound series that they just refuse to admit exists. It's so random. A surprise remake, uh, which I would hope would be maybe Four Swords Adventures. Um, okay, it's kind of like how they did with Link's Awakening a couple years ago, which just came out of nowhere. Uh, I'd like to think right. Four Swords will be uh, announced at uh, at E three, and a, mm. a new Donkey Kong Country game which I don't think we'll get, but that would be really cool if we do. And then Mario Kart Ultimate is announced, which is, uh, you know, the ultimate version of Mario Kart, which includes every course, every character, everything. Ooh. And it's and it's released this year. <laughs> I, the more we talk about that Mario Kart idea, man, the more I think that we're just willing it into existence, like what we did with Super Mario Sunshine. Will it in. Uh, I think we're just going to will it in. I, It feels like that's what they have to do. They've set the bar so high with Smash. Yep. I love those wildest dreams. Some of those sound like my realistic expectations, uh, but like we'll, get to, we'll get to that in a few moments. Uh, so my wildest dream is that Mario Kart 9 will be announced this summer and will be out by Christmas. I'm really hoping that Mario Kart is the Christmas game uh, of the year uh, because we don't know really what the second half of the year looks like right now. We know rumors of Breath of the Wild 2. Uh, I don't think that that's coming out this year, but we'll see. I think Mario Kart 9 is going to be that surprise launch this year. Yeah, yeah. Wildest yep, dreams still, but, you know. Yeah, still wildest <laughs> dreams. My second wildest dreams is that uh, the GameCube library will be added to the Switch online service this year. We just got Nintendo 64 games, like, two weeks ago, so it makes sense that they'd move on to GameCube this year. <laughs> <laughs> and the last one I have here is similar to what you said with um, uh, Surprise Remake. I love the idea of a Surprise Remake, but I, th I think we've done enough Zeldas recently. Sure. Like, we've had Link's Awakening, we've had... Uh, Skyward Sword on the Wii U, we had you know all the ones and on the ones on 3DS. I'd like to see a Star Fox game get remade. Okay, and I'd like them to remake the SNES Star Fox game. Yeah, because it's the game that started it all, and it's not very good to go back to anymore. I think that the Star Fox game has aged somewhat poorly. The early 3D graphics are not great to play on a on a Super Nintendo, on the Super Nintendo Classic, on the Switch service. I think that that game could do with a nice 2022 coat of paint and uh and come out this year so that'd be that would be i would just lose my mind if a star fox game any star fox game comes out even if it's bad i'd be thrilled that's a good wildest dream for sure for mm -hmm. uh for me for realistic this is what i'm thinking it could actually happen uh i think banjo 3 
or a oh. Banjo remaster gets announced. I think we have a high chance of that happening. You know, we just mm-hmm. got Banjo coming on the N64 uh, um, online service, so I think that's in the cards. Uh, Breath of the Wild oh, 2 man. dropping this Christmas. It feels like it has to. I think Nintendo is really banking on that. And if it doesn't, mm-hmm. then they're going to have to put something big in its place. So I think it will drop no matter what this Christmas because I don't think they'll have anything else ready. And they'll be wow. losing a lot of money if they don't drop it by then. So um, wow, that'll be interesting. Prime 4, getting a release date, finally. Hmm. I think that's realistic. I think we will get like at least a, a time frame for it. Probably but not, do you think it'll be for calendar 2022? No, no, or no, do you think no, it'll... No. No, no. Yeah, we no. will get a release date. We will know okay. <laughs> that this game exists, basically. Maybe a trailer with it, too. December 31st, 2023. That's right. That's what <laughs> <laughs> um, major updates for Mario Party Superstars. Uh, that's probably going to happen. We'll probably get that at E3 as well. Uh, mm-hmm. A new Mario game uh, or you know, uh, a sequel to Odyssey or maybe even like a Mario RPG gets teased at E3. Ooh. I think that's you know long overdue at this point. We haven't had a Mario game for four years now, so... Um, okay. I think I think news of it will probably be coming quite soon, and uh, a Game Boy Advance service is released for the N- Nintendo Online. You think they're gonna switch? You think they're gonna jump right over the Game Boy and go straight to Advanced? I think uh, I don't know. It's a, that's actually, I would like just a Game Boy. I would like a Game Boy service. That's like, that's like a good point. At all, but that would be yeah. a that would be a good uh, or that would be like a very much Nintendo move to just skip over the Game Boy and put <laughs> Game Boy Advance. Like I could see them doing something weird like that. Yeah, just a completely tone deaf thing that's yeah. completely <laughs> random. I just because the Game Boy ROMs, they don't know who owns them or something weird like that. They just don't know how to make that ugly green yeah. on Switch. <laughs> it's it's possible. I love all those predictions though. Man, we should run Nintendo. We would do such a great job. Clearly. Uh, yeah. My realistic uh dreams for this year is that Goldeneye will be added to the online service. It's possible. Now, yep. It's possible. We talked about this on our James Bond episode. No one really knows who owns Goldeneye on N64 because the rights are so stretched and divided. Uh, But I I think that now is the time that it could be added with uh, Microsoft playing well with Nintendo. They own Rare. Uh, Nintendo playing well with Microsoft as well. I would love to see it. Like Banjo-Kazooie being such an early addition to the N64 service was a surprise for me. Uh, So it just makes me think that Goldeneye is not out of the realm of possibility. Uh, It's... It's funny, actually. I'm reading my notes here. I made these uh, these uh, I made these dreams uh, before we got the news this week. So I have here the Switch will sell its 100 millionth unit this year. So, <laughs> That's a terrible. So I, <laughs> you knew that I didn't was going to happen. <laughs> no, I didn't because I saw that we were at 89 million the last time we checked. So I was like, oh, okay, I didn't. I forgot that it was uh, like a couple months ago now. So yeah. <laughs> uh, scratch that prediction. Uh, I've uh, changed that to the Switch will outsell the PS4 this year. Yeah, that's that's very that's very tenable for sure. Yeah, it's about it's about 16 million units this year. I think that they can do it, especially if, like what you said is right, and they're putting out a Breath of the Wild 2 or a Mario Kart game. I think they'll definitely blow past that if they can do it. Uh, another prediction: Nintendo will not acquire a single studio. <laughs> <laughs> so they will not reacquire Rare. No, I don't think they're going to acquire anybody. Nintendo does not acquire studios traditionally. Which is so fine, think... honestly. Yeah, yeah, what they usually do, they end up getting these third-party studios who work with them for years and then kind of uh, somewhat absorb them uh, as second-party studios. Think of Retro mm-hmm. Studios as a perfect example. Right, exactly. Like, they, they, they don't acquire these things like Factor Five with Star, Star Wars, uh, Rogue Squadron and whatnot. They get studios to work on their games. Uh, we'll definitely see more of Breath of the Wild 2. It's slated for 2022. I don't know if it's coming out this year, though. I'd be very happy if it does, but I have a feeling it's going to get bumped to spring of next year. Mm-hmm. Might still be in fiscal 2022. If it is, it'll be a very late one. Uh, and then my last one here is Nintendo does need a big holiday game. If it's not Breath of the Wild 2, 
What could it be? I would love it to be Mario Kart 9, but realistically, I would actually think that Donkey Kong Country or something in the Donkey Kong universe would be cool. We swapped uh, We haven't... Yeah, yeah, a little bit of a swap. Like, our lists were very similar, but uh, no, we haven't seen anything new from Donkey Kong in a long time since Tropical Freeze. There was the port of Tropical Freeze onto Switch, funky which mode. was great. <laughs> yeah, with <laughs> exactly, with, uh, with Funky Mode, exactly. Uh, I would love to see a new Donkey Kong 2D or 3D. Like, let's go back to the N64 days with 3D Donkey Kong. Let's make another one of those, which I'm not a huge fan of, but uh, give it a shot. Let's see what happens. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, and uh, Jed, thank you so much for writing in with that topic. Mike and I love talking about possibilities with Nintendo's future, so that's really cool. Can't wait to see what uh, what happens from there. But uh, something non-video game related here, Mike, you saw Spider-Man No Way Home, finally. I saw it back in December, so my memory is a little bit foggy, but I, I see the spoilers on Instagram all the time now, so uh, I, the memories are still somewhat fresh, but you saw it just last week. No spoilers. Did you like it? Let's start with that. I loved it. I really enjoyed it, Neil. I... I enjoyed it so much that I decided to make a little list of my favorite Spider-Mans, or basically ranking the Spider-Mans. Did you do the same thing, Neil? I did, and you mean awesome. the Spider-Man movies. We're talking about the theatrical releases yes. since back in 2000. We saw Tobey Maguire to the Andrew Garfield to the Tom Holland, and we even included the animated Into the Spider-Verse, of course, on our list. I did make my list today. I'm excited to hear where Spider-Man No Way Home ranks for you, so... I'll let you go first, Mike. Now, this could be a very divisive top opening topic for the listeners out there. I know that whenever we rank things, it can always spur some some hatred. We're here to spur controversy. That's what we're really about here. Exactly. (laughs) We'll we'll save the Star Wars ranking for another day. Uh, Anyway, Mike, hit us with your your ranking of all of the Spider-Man films. Do you want me to go... Top to bottom or, or, or the other way around? Bottom to top. Okay, Let's start okay. with the worst and go to the best. Sure. Well, the worst for me is Amazing Spider-Man 2. I think that's probably mm. most people's as well. It's just not a great movie. Spider-Man 3 right up there as well. Uh, I think this movie probably gets more hate than it deserves. Mm-hmm. But when it did come out, it, it was pretty panned. Like I remember as a kid who liked everything leaving the theater and thinking like, wow, this is bad. Oh yeah. yeah. Wow. I don't remember. I remember still being really, really hyped about it. Cause I was still, I, I'm going to leave, I'm going to give the excuse that I'm just a bit younger than you. Like I'm almost a year younger than you are. So maybe I hadn't quite caught up yet to analyzing movies. So I, I was just hyped to see Venom, like anything yeah. Venom. I was really hyped to see. I'm still hyped to see anything Venom. But, uh, Amazing yeah. Spider-Man, the first one, uh, right after that homecoming, which is a good movie. It's just not a great movie. That's which okay. is, I think most people will agree with it's that. It's got too. Michael Keaton though. It's got Michael Keaton and it's a good, like, uh, again, uh, after Amazing Spider-Man, all these movies are good. So like are, mm-hmm. are objectively well done. Uh, cause obviously far from home too is a great movie and that, uh, is next on my list Spider-Man okay. the original with Tobey Maguire from 2002 uh, okay. that would be number four on my list here Into the Spider-Verse which was a fantastic movie this was a movie that blew me away because I had zero expectations for this I had like negative expectations I just had no interest in the Spider-Man movie at all especially mm-hmm. in the animated one and it was so well done did we see that one together in theaters that time yeah on Christmas it, break? we weren't supposed to and then Dan our friend of the show Dan was like do you guys want to see this and we're like oh sure why not and yeah it was such a good time to watch and I will say these yeah. these three uh into the Spider-Verse and the next two are basically all tied they're all very very sure. similar um yeah. next up on my list no way home which I just saw, of course. Mm-hmm. This was just fantastic in every way. And yep. then Spider-Man 2, just because I I love this movie. And I still really, really like this movie. More so because of Alfred Molina in it. Because Doc Ock is such a great character. He is. That could have been done... It could have gone so wrong. But um, <laughs> huge, huge props to Alfred Molina uh, being able to successfully 
play this character and then reprise the character, of course, uh, mm-hmm. in the new one. And yeah, just uh, I love that movie so much. I love all the scenes. I, I love the story. I love how uh, mm-hmm. the stakes are much higher. It feels like it's it just it's a great movie. Yeah, yeah. It, 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 obviously, I think if you're listening to this podcast, you've probably seen all these movies, so we don't have to describe them to you. But yeah, Spider-Man 2, seeing that one in theaters, that was a yeah. that was a ton of fun. Our lists are freakishly similar, which doesn't surprise me at all, Mike. <laughs> um, my least favorite one is also Amazing Spider-Man 2. I need to rewatch that movie. I only saw it once in theaters, me and I too. remember almost asking you if you wanted to leave. <laughs> uh, we were close. We, we were, were very close. close. Yeah, about halfway through, I was like, do you want to go? I just, uh, and Spider-Man 3 is my second least favorite, going into Amazing Spider-Man. Uh, I, I have the Tom Holland and the uh, Tobey Maguire movies flipped a little bit. After Amazing Spider-Man, I have the original Spider-Man. Sure, uh, yeah. I, I prefer Homecoming and Far From Home to, to Spider-Man. That's fine. Uh, I think I like Homecoming more than Far From Home. So it goes Spider-Man, Far From Home, and then Homecoming. I do prefer Homecoming. I really liked Michael Keaton as uh, as the Vulture. He is good. Um, yeah, he was amazing. I loved the suit, the the old school kind of suit that uh, Peter had made on his own with like the little camera lenses in the eyes. I thought that was really mm-hmm. neat. Love that. And then, yeah, just like what you said, the top three are the same. And you ask me any, any other day, I could change this probably tomorrow yeah. if you ask me. It'll be different. But today, since you're asking me, I went <laughs> Spider-Verse at number three. Love that movie. The animation is incredible. Can't wait for the sequel. Then I have Spider-Man 2. Again, like if, if I were to watch this movie today, I'm sure I'm still going to love it. I would I would give anything to go back to the Spider-Man 2 days to get the toys and the video game yeah. that came out with it. That was the thing. Was it, was the, it was this huge multimedia movie where we had the video yep. game and the Burger King toys. The Lego. <laughs> yeah, the Lego set. Exactly. It was I everywhere. It. <laughs> I remember getting like stickers at the dentist office based on Spider-Man 2. Just, man, it was everywhere. But uh, no, Spider-Man No Way Home, the movie that just came out, I was I had the best time in the theater that night. Uh, smiling ear to ear for all of the big moments and everything. I was laughing. I was tearing up at parts. I just like everyone was silent throughout the entire yeah. film. It was just such a cool movie watching experience that uh, I haven't had in a long time. So got to give it a got to give a shout out to Spider-Man No Way Home at the number one spot. 100 percent agree with that. And yeah. uh, Neil, we are running. We This is a long intro. So yeah, <laughs> one more thing here. We, of course, have the mailbag. mailbag. Ladies and gentlemen, if you want to write into the show and leave us a review, you can do so by writing into us on whatever social media platform you follow us on or whatever podcast service you listen to us on. We also decided that if you wanted to correct us on an episode that we recently did, you can also do so by writing into us. Let us know what we got wrong and correct us. Just like Mike, who wrote into us today. Well, this technically isn't a write-in, but uh, I posted on Reddit, I posted the image of uh, all our Pokemon stuff for the Pokemon XD and uh, Coliseum episode that we put out a couple weeks ago. And I got a really funny comment here from really bad luck Brian on Reddit, who said, <laughs> what a great post by a nice young man. Cheers. Thanks for the podcast. Hey, I'm glad that he got the little inside joke there. I have no idea where that nice young man thing came from. I just started doing it. Like, I don't remember when it started or what episode we started doing it on, but it's happened ever since. Even Matt, uh, last week we had my friend Matt on the show to talk about Chibi Robo. And when the episode went up, he texted me just, what a nice young man. (laughs) (laughs) That's amazing. I love that. And Chibi Robo, that episode did great, by the way. Thank you for everyone who listened to the last episode. That was our best day like ever by a long shot. So uh, a lot of people listening, which is nice. And yeah, just rem- makes you remember that uh, people actually hear what we say, Neil. And 
Uh, I don't know how much I like that. <laughs> no, I don't either, Mike, but let's keep doing it anyway. So, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to episode 84 of the GameCube is Cool podcast. New episode every Thursday on all the major podcast services. We are the number one GameCube podcast on the internet. We're here to look back on all 555 North American GameCube games, one by one, sometimes 12 by 12. So far, we have covered 375 games. We're getting close. You can visit thegamecubeiscool.com to check out all the things we've been working on. The website was developed by our very own Mike Lane. That's me. That's him. And just like Mike said, last week we talked about Chibi Robo and Custom Robo. Uh, just a couple of franchises that basically were left to die on the GameCube, but it was a really fun episode. If you haven't already, go back and check it out. This week we're talking about Power Rangers and a few other random games here. We're going to be talking about Dragon's Lair. We're going to be talking about KO the Kangaroo <laughs> and a couple of other games here. Um, this is just going to be a little bit of a smorgasbord of, uh, of games to talk about. And uh, if you're a younger listener, smorgasbord was the word that everybody used before we we started saying charcuterie. I was literally about to ask you, what is a smorgasbord? And that's what it is, a charcuterie board? Yeah, basically. I looked huh. it up. I think it's actually like a Finnish or like a Swedish word for basically their cheese and cracker board. Smorgasbord. Yeah, exactly. I think it's got something to do with the Nordic. Yeah, I don't know. That something. Right. A lot of meats and cheeses and dips and everything. I, I See, I worked in the deli when everyone started using charcuterie. So it was a weird day when, uh, when that <laughs> word broke out. But let's get back on track here. GameCube games. We're talking about some GameCube games today. Let's start off strong, Mike, with uh, Power Rangers. What are your memories of Power Rangers? This is really like the franchise that when people talk about the 90s, they bring up Power Rangers. Do you remember this show back in the day? I do. I It is definitely the quintessential 90s uh, TV program for sure. And, mm-hmm. it you know, we were at the late end of it. Uh, it debuted in 1993. And the one that everyone remembers is Mighty Morphin Power Rangers, by the way. There's yeah. like a thousand different versions of, of Power Rangers now. But uh, <laughs> that's the one that, that we all remember. That's the one we all had toys of. I had a um, I had a Frisbee. I had a Power Rangers Frisbee. Ooh. It was green and had the Mighty Morphin logo on it with, uh, I think, the red, green, and, and yellow Rangers on there. And that okay. was re- very, very cool. And yeah, so debuted in 93, ended in 96, and of course was syndicated forever, and I'm sure still is. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's kind of how we got introduced to it. And I, I had a couple of action figures as well. I think people just bought me them for Christmas or stuff like that. Yeah. And had a fun, you know, fun time playing with it. And the Power Rangers, like, uh, franchise itself is really interesting mm-hmm. because of kind of how it was started. Uh, and it's known usually as Saban's Power Rangers, and I was like, "What is Saban?" Because I always saw that, uh, mm-hmm. and I didn't know what it was. But what it was, but uh, Heim Saban is the, I guess, technically the founder of, of Power Rangers. I wouldn't say he's the creator, but he produced it. Mm-hmm. Uh, he basically got it into the U.S., got it on shows, and uh, he's just a really interesting guy. I like had a fun time looking him up. Mm-hmm. Just really strange, but has like a very good business vision, which is, I guess, why the the show was so successful. Mm-hmm. And uh, and then the uh, and then Disney owned Power Rangers for a while. Uh, really? Yeah, yeah. Disney owned Power Rangers from 2002 to 2010. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, and then Saban owned it again from 2010 to 2018, and now Hasbro owns Power Rangers, uh, which feels right, which yeah. feels where, <laughs> where Power Rangers should have probably always been. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, just a interesting history of a franchise. It, it is an amazing franchise, and to date, there are not millions of Power Rangers. There's actually only 26 sets of Power Rangers, which... Only. I mean, 26 Power Rangers in 28 years, like that's one a year. Yeah. Uh, but it is funny, like when I was a kid, I at that point, like when we were maybe nine, I was getting Power Rangers toys. And at that point, there might have been 
10 sets out and like i would just get random power rangers from random sets no one knew what they were getting me like i'd get like a mighty morphin blue power ranger and then i get this random guy on a bike from lightspeed rescue and then i get this dinosaur one from dino fury like i just had this smorgasbord of power ranger toys from different franchises so it really it really is difficult from from like a parent's perspective what to get your kid because there was just a new set coming out all of the time there were new movies coming out straight to vhs there was one or i mean there was one back in 2018 theatrical power rangers movie but there was another one back in 1990 1995 or six yeah around there it's actually a really good movie i don't know if you've seen it the one i've yeah, Ivan Ooze, the, the yep. Power Rangers movie. Really good. Starts off with a Red Hot Chili Pepper song while they're skydiving, which is just the coolest scene of any movie. Uh, so I have very good memories of watching that with my brother. You mentioned, Mike, that it's a little bit before our time, and you're right. It really is an 80s kids slash 90s kids show. But I have a brother that was born in 1988, so he kind of shepherded the franchise over to me, uh, which is really nice of him. Um, but we really have Power Rangers to thank for a lot of the other shows that came on back in yes. the day, especially like Fox Kids. Like that segment was centered around Power Rangers, like Beetleborgs and even like later shows that came around like Goosebumps and SpongeBob. Like they all were centered around kids wanting to watch Power Rangers. This was one of the you know, first times that uh, we actually kind of got this Japanese-based show mm-hmm. to be successful in North America. And, yeah, most people did not want to touch this uh, for a long time, uh, which is you know, why uh, Saban brought it to Fox Kids, who was, which was a relatively new uh, program or a relatively new channel, I guess. And that's how it, it worked was because they were willing to try this. Uh, because I was I was reading a lot about the history of it because I, I just thought found it really fascinating. Mm-hmm. Um, and there was actually an agreement with the Toei company in Marvel uh, mm-hmm. to to make these uh, these superheroes and it was a Super Sentai uh, series and that's right. what that's where it kind of comes from. The idea was that they were going to kind of merge the Japanese Spider-Man television series with this. Wow! And they ended up doing that, which was really successful in Japan. And uh, so then Marvel and Stan Lee tried to to sell this series to the American television stations, including HBO, hmm. at the time, but uh, found no buyers. And this is you know late seventies, early eighties. So it was it was took about fifteen years wow. to get this show on you know on TV. And the way that it was done, uh, Saban was really really wanted to make sure that it, the the dialogue was revised to incorporate a lot of American culture right. and kind of conform to American television standards. Mm-hmm. And so rather than making an English dub or translation, uh, Power Rangers consisted of a lot of scenes featuring English-speaking actors spliced with scenes featuring Japanese actors dubbed into English, right. uh, which was, you know, completely – no one had ever done something like that before. <laughs> and, yeah, that – I mean, that basically paved the way for uh, just localizing Japanese television, uh, which, yeah. you know – 10 years after that became that was everything that was on after nine o'clock like it was Mm -hmm. only japanese tv that was localized to to the u.s yeah they snuck us in with some japanese shows and no one knew it like you thought you were watching an american program like these kids these these school kids they're like our peers basically have these superpowers and they have these really cool costumes they have these really cool megazords and they're transforming and fighting giant monsters it really is just the ultimate like just cool show Unfortunately, the video games, however, did not exactly (laughs) transfer over, but we'll talk about that right now. Power Rangers Dino Thunder was released on September 14th, 2004. It's developed by Pacific Coast Power & Light, which is a really cool studio. We've talked about them already. They uh, developed MX Superfly and WWE Crush Hour. Uh, Natsume made the Game Boy Advance game. 
This was published by THQ. It's also on Game Boy Advance and PlayStation 2. Rates a 5 out of 10. Priced today at around $20. This is an action-adventure game based on the show Power Rangers Dino Thunder, which ran from February uh, to November of 2004. So it's a very short-run series. Uh, 38 episodes total. This was a bit past when I was watching Power Rangers, though. This was when we were 11, so we were getting into junior high. Uh, I, I think I mainly watched Power Rangers from, like, grade 1 to about grade 5, maybe. Yeah, um, I, I remember – I actually remember this more for the toys, mm, okay. I would say, and more for, like, the logo. As soon as I saw the logo, I was like, yes, I remember this. And, yeah. and I might have watched some episodes. I do remember, like, the whole – dinosaur theme it was almost like the beast war style that mm-hmm. was the uh and you know mechs being quite popular at the time too yeah uh, so this game actually does incorporate a lot of mech elements which i it, thought was funny it's all mech elements mike like this <laughs> yeah. this takes this took out all of the power ranger part of what makes a power rangers game there's no kung fu there's no fighting you don't walk around in your in your suit as any of the power rangers you're only in mechs which was an interesting take on Power Rangers. Uh, THQ did make a Power Rangers game for the N64, which is considered, I think, one of the worst N64 games. That was for Lightspeed Rescue, which is a show that I actually loved watching back in grade four, I think. I watched it almost every day before school for like a year. Uh, So that was disappointing to know that that game sucked. Um, (laughs) But they basically took all of the action parts of that game and just focused on the mechs. They made it a giant robot game where you're completing missions just in your giant t-rex you're in a pterodactyl or a stegosaurus or any of those any of those uh robots so yeah let's talk about the game yeah yeah so i mean the idea like you said is is you're mostly in max here and and you're each power ranger has a different max so a red one for example is a t-rex and that one I found is one of the worst ones to play as because mm-hmm. it's so slow moving yeah and it just like like Mecha games are fun when you're flying around, right? Like, that's really what you want to do. You want to be able to... It's like an extension of your body, and so you want to be able to do things that your body can't. Well, like, well, I can slowly walk around. I don't need to do this all the time. <laughs> we live in Toronto. And, we know people walk around slowly. It's fine. <laughs> and, and the way that it's kind of done with the T-Rex is that I, I never understood how big I was supposed to be. Sometimes right. I was, you know three times as big as the school. Other times I was just as big as these small rocks. Like it was <laughs> the, the, the whole depth, depth perception was really strange for me. Yeah. Um, just like it definitely takes you out of it. Uh, just only playing as them and not having the ability to get out of the mechs. Like, right. I thought that was just a, a huge missed opportunity to have any sort of power rangers feel to it because this doesn't feel like a power rangers game at all no it feels like a mech game where you're just fighting as it feels like you're kind of playing as the robots from horizon zero dawn uh (laughs) like when the game first started up and you're playing as the the t-rex megazord uh it's funny because i I was like man when what how often do you get to play as like a dinosaur in a game you're usually fighting the dinosaurs like in turok it just got me thinking of mario odyssey which they absolutely nailed being a t-rex where you're this giant clumsy thing you can feel the weight behind the dinosaur where in this game you can kind of feel like every step you take or if you jump like you float for a few seconds like you're not this yeah. you know 100 ton robot walking around uh some distant planet or in, in some distant land uh the gameplay itself is just like that from start to finish it, it's yep. floaty the controls aren't very good the the textures in the environment aren't great. Nothing's very detailed. The missions themselves are pretty repetitive and boring. One thing that is good about the game, at least like right when it first starts up, is the opening cutscene is actually very well yes. done for a CG cutscene. I was going to say the same thing. That's That was what I had written down as like the best parts about this game. Mm-hmm. And yeah, that cutscene is really, really well done. Yeah. Uh, I, 
they clearly put all their money into <laughs> into making this this graphically uh like you know looks really nice i think this is 2004 yep. right you said mm-hmm. yeah 2004 so this is uh, i'd say quite impressive for a 2004 game uh clearly thq wanted to make sure that that starting up this game it looked good mm-hmm. and uh yeah it's both mostly downhill from there like i do love the designs of the dinosaurs i've always yeah. loved just all the power rangers designs they're so colorful and bright and mm-hmm. and but you know they, they're not kiddish they're, they're not they're not super kiddish where right. you're like oh this is for babies this is like <laughs> something like they, they do it in this you know fun edgy way that i've always really uh, admired about power rangers so uh yeah. I, I did like the the whole design and the the whole aesthetic uh, feel mm-hmm. for for uh for this game but just overall the gameplay sucked like yeah clearly someone had an idea of this and was like yeah let's make a um a video game of dino thunder mm-hmm. and everyone's like, okay what are we gonna do uh let's just have a bunch of big dinosaurs yeah and that's pretty much all they did they made a game that takes about three hours to beat mike it's 24 yeah. <laughs> missions across seven worlds the game is incredibly short they even had to throw in some extra zords from power rangers wild force and power rangers ninja storm so they uh. even took some uh, some of the zords from the other games and then when you finally do get to uh combine your forces and make your megazord which is like the coolest part of the show and the movies it's just this kind of basic boss fight of you stunning the other big guy and hitting him a few times and then it's yeah. over they don't have any giant battles that really feel epic like they did in the movies or the show which you look back on them now and they are cheesy they're very campy uh, if you go back and watch power rangers yeah. now but still like that that's like the part of the game uh at least it should have been which is really too bad if you go back and look at like best of power rangers games like the best games they're all 2d games like the yes, snes that's where it should live to be fair yeah exactly like they're all 2d beat-em-ups they're all 2d action platformers like i love the power mighty morphing power rangers on super nes which we bought in new york several years ago oh yeah it's a terrific game very easy like it's it's it is a kid's game at the end of the day but it looks beautiful music is fun graphics are good because it's on the super nintendo but it seems like anytime they try and dip into this 3d space it never goes well it, it reminds me a lot of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Neil, in the mm. same way, yeah. where the TMNT games, the 2D versions are some of the best games ever made. Yeah. Uh, they're just so well done, and that's where they should live in that space. And mm. then there are a couple of 3D TMNT games that we will talk about on the TMNT episode, Yeah, uh, because there's quite a few for the game GameCube, and a lot of them are bad. They're just not good. Mm. Uh, there's only one, I think, that did it well. So it's, yeah. it's, a, it's a tough space to be in, um, and... I admire them for at least trying something new with the, the with mechs here, but mm-hmm. it just falls really flat. Even the flying, even as a pterodactyl, that was not fun. And that's the one thing you think would be fun. You didn't like <laughs> flying through the rings as the pterodactyl? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, not over and over again. No, no, yeah, the missions were basically just you fly through the rings as the flying robots and you kind of just destroy a random thing in the level as the big robots and you do that over and over again, so pretty repetitive so to avoid us from being repetitive mike why don't we read the back of the case of power rangers dino thunder and we will move on to the next game let's do it all right but first victor hit us with that sweet jingle it's time to read what's on the back of the case there's things written on the back of the case let's read them and now we're reading the back of the case Harness the power of the Dinozords. The mad scientist Mesagog has plans to send the world back into the age of dinosaurs. Through the power of the Dino Gems, three students are transformed into Dino Thunder Power Rangers. 
helped the Power Rangers stop Mezagog and his army by using the Dinozords, powerful creatures which are part dinosaur and part machine. That's true, there were always a couple of Power Rangers seasons that were only three kids. I really did prefer it when it was like five or six. Three just didn't feel right. Yeah, Power Rangers feels like a big team, you know? Yeah. Did you ever watch the uh, the Power Rangers movie that came out in like 2016 or something? I did. And basically my experience with that was I, re- I got it from the library, so I didn't pay to go see it. Good. And I was so upset that it took them an hour <laughs> and 15 minutes or so to finally transform, yeah. to finally uh, morph. Uh, that I turned the movie off when they were just about to morph. <laughs> it was insane. It was like an hour and a half of exposition in this Power Rangers movie. Like, what are you doing? I like The Breakfast Club just as much as the next guy. But in a Power Rangers <laughs> movie, if you're not morphing within the first 15 minutes, <laughs> I'm not happy. <laughs> yeah. The only saving grace of that movie, and, you know, again, this is, take this with a grain of salt because it's not a good movie at all, is um, no. Brian Cranston as... Uh, Zordon? Zordon. Zordon. Yeah, yeah. yeah, that was really cool how they did his face and everything. I thought that yeah, was neat. That yeah. was really cool. And I think Bill Hader was the uh, Alpha 5, uh, the, the robot. I think oh, it's yeah. Bill Hader. Yeah, so like the, the side characters were, were fine. And like the actors themselves were fine too. I just think the direction of the movie was wrong. Like, oh, it just I, was awful. Yeah, yeah, I think it was just wrong. So I yeah. think they were supposed to make a sequel to it. I don't think we're going to see one. But uh, yeah, I did see that. I saw 75% of the film, so... I can't wait for the Hasbro Cinematic Universe. Oh, God, it's ha- it's coming. All the cinematic <laughs> universes are coming. But let's move on to the next game of the day, which is Dragon's Lair 3D, which was released on December 22nd, 2002. What? <laughs> Developed by Dragonstone Software, published by Ubisoft. It's also on PS2, Xbox, and Windows. It rates about a 6.5 out of 10, which feels a bit harsh. Priced today at around $100, and this is an action-adventure game based on the classic arcade game Dragon's Lair. That's right, and uh, Don Bluth animated, well, technically animated a game. Basically, this uh, game back in the day, you saw these full cutscenes uh, on them with, uh, you know, literally just looks like Don Bluth animation. Don Bluth, as we, as you might not know, uh, he is a famous animator. He's done uh, tons of films. I know he used to work for Disney for a long time, yep. and what I know him best for is the Land Before Time series, which is actually really funny, Neil, because of the the dinosaur theme that seems to be popping up in this episode. Yeah, yeah, that that, that that's the uh, that's the silver lining throughout the episode. I'm I'm a big fan of Land Before Time too as a kid. Also, All Dogs Go to Heaven. That was a really good, yep, really good movie. Oh, American Tale too. Yeah, yeah, he's got a ton of classics. And then the, the the things that he did for Disney, he did The Rescuers, The Fox and the Hound, Pete's Dragon, Robin Hood, so many others. He's like an absolute legend, man. He worked for Disney twice, actually. A lot of people don't know that. He worked for Disney when he was quite young, and he quit not long after getting hired. And his reason was because he said it was boring. <laughs> <laughs> he does seem more like one of those guys who just is honestly a genius uh, at yeah. what he does and is so prolific. And he even, you know, has popped his head up a couple of times in this show because think how what what was the episode or what was the game that he worked on i know he did i ninja uh that's one of them that we'll be talking about later but he also did something else that we talked about i forget right now but don bluth is oh like being involved in the video game industry from pretty early stage starting with dragon's lair in the 80s uh, up till the the mid-2000s which is pretty impressive considering most people just threw video games away as like a, a fad almost yeah, I know. And Dragon's Lair, which was like a really cool cartoon game. You said it, Mike, at the beginning. It was one of the first arcade games that was printed on Laserdisc. So in the 80s, arcade games were all 
pixelated. You know, you picture Space Invaders and Pac-Man. This one was incredibly ahead of its time because in the in the arcades was just this basically full-length movie yeah, almost. Yeah, like a movie. <laughs> it was basically, it, was, it literally was a production value of a film uh, with the quick time events, like you said. So listeners, if you're familiar with games like Uncharted or God of War, uh, the quick time event... Uh, thing became very popular in the seventh generation of video games with Uncharted and God of War specifically. And that's exactly what this game was. It was actually, it was incredibly difficult because mm-hmm. the game not only required you to be fast and have quick reflexes to, to hit the prompts on time, but you also basically, you needed to memorize the game pretty much. And that was expensive at the time because yep. in the eighties, vi- video games were mostly a 25 cents a quarter for, per play. Uh, Dragon's Lair was one of the first games that was 50 cents per play. So it was expensive. 50 cents in the, in like 83 is a lot of money to spend on a, on an arcade game that you very quickly will die. Yeah. And, uh, and that was really tough for, it was kind of known in, in the world as, uh, as a game that just ate your money. Exactly. And it, Eight your money it did the game cost about three million dollars to make how most of which most of that was spent just with don bluth and his uh his animators just drawing i i believe i read somewhere that it took about fifty thousand individual drawings to make the game from start to finish but all in all the game made 32 million in arcades which hmm. adjusted for inflation is about 83 million dollars today wow. uh, n- not a lot when you consider video game sales of today like obviously 83 million dollars would be a colossal failure for a triple a <laughs> game that's true uh, but the game's been released 72 times uh, on consoles, PCs, iPhones, everything. So it's it's had a ton of re-releases. I'm sure it's made quite a bit more money uh, than that since then. And uh, a lot of folks would probably the first time that they saw this game, if they didn't grow up in the 80s, would have seen this uh, this game in Stranger Things season two. It op- the season opens with them playing this game in uh, in the arcade, which oh, is kind of neat. Oh, that's right. It does. Oh my yeah. god. Okay. Yeah, because uh, I've I, I I know of this game. I've never really played it, but I I know no. of it. And but I've never ever seen the GameCube copy. And when you said it was a hundred dollars, that checks out because yeah, I I never seen it anywhere. No, and I think if I did see it like before doing research for this episode, I I I also don't know much about Dragon's Lair. I would have thought that this was just a generic dungeon crawler, uh, kind of like a PC port of something from the '80s that you know I'd probably not get much out of, but. When you dig into this game, let's let's jump right in now to Dragon's Lair 3D. It it is a continuation. It's basically a sequel to Dragon's Lair. It follows the same heroes from the first game. Dirk the Daring, he's your knight. You have Daphne the Princess, Singe the Dragon. So it is a sequel to the original game. It's just instead of having the Don Bluth art style, which would have been really cool to have uh in a on a GameCube game, uh it takes on the cel-shaded uh, art style that we both love obviously up to this point and makes it more of like an action adventure exploration game where you get to explore the castle instead of being limited to just the uh, the scenes that the animators developed couldn't have said it better myself there yeah <laughs> yeah the, uh, the we still do get the classic don bluth cutscenes, uh mm-hmm. in i believe the opening and a couple of times uh within the game and yeah some those scenes are absolutely beautiful like it's yep. it's amazing the 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 depth and just animation prowess that uh, that the Don Bluth team had back in the eighties. Uh, I forget how beautiful you know those uh, those know. old movies are. I just want to say one thing before we re- d- dive into it even more. My God, this is the most sexualized version of a damsel in distress <laughs> I've ever seen. Uh, yeah. If if anyone hasn't seen this before, uh, Daphne, uh, the the, mm. the the damsel in distress that Dirk, which is the protagonist, is trying to rescue, is dressed like a Playboy bunny. 
Yep. Uh, it's like the, the super revealing clothing and everything, and yeah. I was like, "Wow, this is uh, this is interesting." <laughs> yeah, she she's a, she's a pretty lady. I'm, I'm not gonna lie. But yeah, she, I don't know how they got away with stuff like that, man. Um, it's interesting, and her voice too is very like I guess breathy, and, oh, throaty. No. Yeah, yeah. Dirk, help me. You know, it's really strange. It's it's kind of weird. Very in a way, sexualized. Very. It'd be interesting to see if they did this game again in 2022, what they would do with that character. Because yeah. I think that a lot of the uh, the voice actors did reprise their roles for this game. There are multiple... Uh, there's only actually a couple characters in the game. There's a couple of sorcerers, Dirk the Daring, Daphne. It's basically it. There's only about four or five characters. But the voice actors are incredible. Like, the voice acting is really good. I mean, Daphne aside, she's okay. <laughs> Uh, but like Dirk the Daring has almost no lines. He kind of reminds me of Scooby-Doo. He kind of just has like the grunts and the yep. worried, you know, like when he falls down a pit or something or is attacked by things. It's really good. Yeah, there's actually a, um, there's a, there's a really good, if you want to like, get like an in-depth look at this game, mm-hmm. there's actually a really good video called Dragon's Lair 3D, an underrated masterpiece. And this yes. is kind of what I, I'm assuming you watch this too. It's an yep. hour long. Uh, it's basically a documentary about how the game was made and the history of it and everything. Really, really interesting and a lot of insight into the game. And, and that's what I use as my, as my biggest reference point. Uh, it's an amazing video. It's it, it's an hour long. It's about two years old or a year and a half old at this point. It only has 3,800 views. The creator is Gaming Magic 13 uh, If anybody knows that creator or anything, please give a shout out to, to him. He, it's an incredible video. It, it's underrated. It, it should have way more views. At first, I thought it was like third. 3.8 million but no it's 3.8 thousand so definitely give it give it some love this game he he does a great job of uh mm-hmm. diving into it and uh since we don't have a copy of the game it was good to watch him play and and see the deep dive that he went into but uh this this game does have its problems though even though it mm-hmm. is like you know it looks really cool the cell shading is a great choice in this uh, aspect and it's made it so it doesn't look like crap today the controls are the biggest thing that people talked about and how stiff it was. And you can see that in gameplay. Uh, just everything is slow moving. It looks like Dirk is literally running in slow motion most of the time. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the puzzle elements of this game, because it is an action adventure game. So you're you're kind of trying to get your uh, trying to go through dungeons. It's almost like a dungeon crawler as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so you have to, you know, do a little bit of puzzle solving and you have to be very precise with a lot of movements. And that isn't great when you have mm-hmm. stiff controls. Yeah, stiff controls as well as the aiming. They they do introduce a few new things to this game that are not in the old games, one of which is a crossbow, which is used for combat and puzzle solving. And watching mm. the puzzles, it was basically, they've pretty much taken all the puzzles from uh, Ocarina of Time, where Link is either firing a, uh, using his slingshot or using his bow and arrow to yes. shoot at eyes. They even take the eye. <laughs> I know, uh, I noticed that. <laughs> it, it, it's cut and paste directly from Ocarina of Time. And, and the aiming in that game... And the aiming in Dragon's Lair 3D is not quite as precise as Ocarina of Time is, uh, which is unfortunate. <laughs> but yeah, they, they also did add a couple of other things too, which which I appreciated. There's the Dragon Essences, which grants you some powers, as well as there's Health and Mana Meters, which aren't in the original game. I really like the Dragon Essences in the game, Mike. They they give you the ability to fly. They give you the ability to like see through walls. You can heal yourself. Mm-hmm. It really added a lot of interesting elements to the game like it almost made it like a metroidvania as well because you would see points that you couldn't get to without the ability to fly or you think that you're trapped in certain corridors until you realize that you can actually see a hidden doorway and then you can go through that it's really neat it's a pretty advanced game and ambitious in that Mm. sense right like very ambitious for uh was it 2003 you said uh you know just before Christmas, just yeah, before Christmas, uh, two, yeah. Two, 2002, 2002, okay. just before Christmas. Yeah, yeah. So, like, you know, for a, for a game like that, that's, uh, you know, we've talked a lot about 
we've talked on this podcast a lot about games that come from an arcade background because there's so mm-hmm. many, especially in the early 2000s. We still have this lineage that was still alive with most of these games of, you know, they started in the 80s on arcades and now are on home consoles and mm-hmm. uh, now are in 3D, which is, you know, Dragon's Lair 3D uh, in the name. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'd say this does it pretty well, better than most that we've talked about so far at yep. trying to bring over a very different kind of game, you know, mm-hmm. uh, uh, a quick time event game, bringing that yeah. over into a full fledged action adventure experience, like, and then they make it cell shading too. Like that's really ambitious, and I gotta give them a lot of props for that. Yeah, they could just have easily have made this a quick time event yeah. on the GameCube, and I don't think that would have done as well. This is like we talked about a couple weeks ago, Frogger, which was kind of difficult to get through. Yeah, uh, that did not really translate as well to the 3D space. Uh, games like Pac Man did okay. Uh, but yeah, this one is really good, and it had no business being this good. I think a 6.5 out of 10 is a little bit harsh. I think, I think so that too. this game did enough new things. It, it 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 meshed the old with the new perfectly. There's an incredible story, which is very deep, and in the video that we both watched, it, he straight up spoils the uh, the plot twist, which is fine. I'll probably still want to play this game, but the 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 plot in this game had no business being that good either. Like they did not need to go so deep into the lore of Dragon's Lair and have like make you basically second guess what you're doing halfway through the game. It's a yeah. it's a really neat twist that I don't think anybody was expecting for the few players that did buy this game. I I wish I wish we would get something new with this game, you know, just like updating the controls mm-hmm. especially because I would love to play this but I know I would get really frustrated uh with these these uh super slow controls and everything. And the yeah. one thing I really thought of while watching uh gameplay of it was I saw a lot of these traps, constant traps that would come up, which is an element that was in the original game as well. And they're really random. Like, there's no tells, there's no audio cues. And the first thing I thought of, Neil, was was Dark Souls. Uh, I know, okay. classic, oh, it's the Dark Souls of <laughs> But it, it, honestly, I think uh, Dark Souls from software took a lot of cues from this because I got huge Dark Souls vibes while watching, uh, uh, watching these games, or watching this game being played, especially watching the traps. Like, that's what I... I, you encounter that all the time in Dark Souls, where a chest starts eating you, right, when you open it. It's right. still a lot of similar stuff here. And again, no cues, nothing. It just all of a sudden, you're getting hit with it, and you're like, ah, oh, damn it. Now I have to remember where that trap was not to, to hit that again. Yeah, Dragon Slayer was compared to, or I guess Dark Souls was compared to Dragon Slayer when it came out, just because this was the the Dark Souls of the uh, the olden days mm-hmm. in the arcades, and it's really neat that you compared the two. I, I still think though that Dragon Slayer has a place at becoming back in in the AAA space uh, because we do have so many games that look, or we do have so many games in this medieval kind of theme yeah. that all look very similar at this point. Like we've had Skyrim, we have The Witcher, we even have Zelda to a point. We have Dark Souls and Bloodborne. They all have this kind of aesthetic to them. They're all gritty. They're all realistic. It'd be really neat if if Dragon's Lair came out swinging again in a cel-shaded game. Uh, you're just exploring this one castle. You're going after Princess Daphne. Maybe she's just slightly less sexualized. It's still a hard game. It's still very combat-focused like uh, Skyrim or Dark Souls is, but it's still like cartoony. It still feels like you're playing... Uh, Disney, not a Disney game, uh, you know, mm-hmm. still has has funny jokes and amazing animations and everything. And the Don Bluth cutscenes, I think that it could definitely fit in this world where we're getting a lot of medieval games that all kind of string together in a way. I think so, too. And I would absolutely love, love to see this remade in some way. You know, we're not going to get a sequel or anything, but I, th- I think there's a chance we 
we could see this getting a remake. You know, 20th anniversary is coming up real fast for this, so who knows? Yeah, that's crazy. I would love that. I I, I think it, I think that'd be really good. Let's let THQ Nordic buy uh, buy the Dragon's Lair IP so we can get that collection uh, ASAP. Good idea. <laughs> I just need to talk to you about the front of this game. Oh, the, uh, cover. the cover. Ah, yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the cover of the back of the case. Um, <laughs> it's interesting. It looks a. I can't tell what they're going for here. It looks kind of gross. Yeah, this was an awful, awful cover. It's it's in Mike's top ten worst covers on the GameCube for sure. Ouch. It's okay. it's just you know because uh, for those of you who don't know what it looks like, it they didn't use the beautiful two D artwork that Don Bluth did for uh, for the old Dragon Layers. No, no, no. Because it's Dragon Layer three D, they had mm. to take these basically screenshots of the game, uh, and it looks horrible, right? You don't want to have a a three D render from two thousand two. Uh, on a box yeah. art because it just it's it doesn't look good no it doesn't quite capture like the they're trying to capture the shadows and the lighting of the game which is ac- are actually beautiful i love the environments in dragon's layer 3d it's actually the characters themselves that look a little bit rough May- not the bosses they look okay but the the, the baddies that you fight on a regular basis mm-hmm. look a bit rough um but yeah i would have much preferred a don bluth like classic or cell shaded yeah, that too. Like, that, like that's that's what the game doesn't look like. This that's my problem. Yeah. <laughs> I know. Yeah, it's it's totally true. I I think that they could have done way better. This looks like this looks like something like you'd expect the North American version to look like this because Dirk the Daring is looking you know mad and aggressive Angry, and he's yeah. fighting. He's got his sword. And then like the European version looks awesome, but uh, the <laughs> European version looks exactly the same as this one. And uh, Daphne looks uh, mighty fine trapped in that bubble underneath the dragon. What's the dragon going to do with Daphne? I'm kind of confused. Yeah, I, I don't really know what the, the storyline is there. And the the last thing, again, before you read the back of the case, um, mm-hmm. you mentioned release date, December 22nd, 2002. Obviously yep. horrible. Um, <laughs> this was like such a weird released game. So it comes out uh, for Xbox uh, in November of 2002, then GameCube in November and December. Uh, EU for Xbox and GameCube, it comes out in March 2004. Uh, wow. So... A year and change later. Yeah. Uh, and then, uh, and same for PlayStation, it comes out in the EU uh, in March 2004. But for PlayStation 2 only, it does not come out for in North America. Yeah, that was a weird... That That's honestly the weirdest part for me, is that it wasn't on PS2 in North America. This would have done really well yeah. on PlayStation... Maybe not really well, but it would have done... Like, most games did well on PS2. Kind of weird that only Europe got it. Very, very strange. But with that, why don't we hit the back of the case of Dragon's Lair 3D, and we will move on to our next game. From deep within an enchanted castle, a captive princess calls for a courageous knight to rescue her from the keep of a foul dragon. As Dirk the Daring, a brave yet bumbling knight, you have sworn to storm the castle of the evil wizard Mordrock. It's hard to say. And save Princess Daphne... Only razor-sharp reflexes and tremendous feats of daring will ensure triumph. But will you risk unleashing the deadly secret that lurks in the heart of the Dragon's Lair? So, I also hate that this game uses like the subtitle as Return to the Lair. You should never have the same word in the <laughs> title twice. Dragon's Lair, Return to the Lair. It's like that yeah. uh, recent news, uh, uh, Lord of the Rings. Uh, oh, yeah. Uh, that, that the new series that's coming out is Lord of the Rings power of the ring or, or yeah. ring of power or whatever it is and yeah hopefully they're just gonna like brand it as ring of power and not put the lord of the rings name on it too much because 
That sounds yeah. weird, but whatever. I understand what you're saying completely. It is a bit. It just becomes a bit much. Don't use um, the same word twice. It's an easy rule. <laughs> Think of another you, word. <laughs> you had one job. The game also features a documentary footage from the original creators, which is neat, as well as a music video, which I think is for the closing song of the game, which is a trip. That closing song was weird, but yeah. we'll let you look that up on YouTube on your own free time. For now, let's move on to the next game on our list, which is Cubics Robots for Everyone Showdown was released on June 2nd, 2003. This game is developed by Blitz Games. It's published by the 3DO Company. It's also on Game Boy Color, Game Boy Advance. Game Boy Color, we don't talk about that too often. And PS2, this game is priced today between $50 and $90. There's quite a range there. Rating around a 6 out of 10. This is like an action-adventure game with uh, role-playing elements. It's based on the Korean show with the same name. Uh, Cubics Robots for Everyone. The show only has 26 episodes, yet somehow it aired for three years. <laughs> they just milked that the entire time. <laughs> yep. This is a really, really weird game, I gotta yeah. say. So, um, just just a fun fact. It released for Game Boy Color first, uh, okay. November 2001. And I also like to remind everyone that this is these releases were only in North America. Uh, weren't in Japan Some for some reason. I guess it was just a North American thing. Uh, even though it was based on a Korean show. Anyways, uh, Game Boy <laughs> Color, November 2001. Game Boy Advance, February 2002, so soon after. And then GameCube and PlayStation 2 uh, in June of 2003. So, yeah. Yeah. Another staggered release of a licensed game, unfortunately. Now, this did have a short TV show run in North America. I do remember it being on. I think it was on. Yeah. It was from 4Kids Entertainment. So it was either on uh, Fox Kids or YTV or one of those. The main thing I remember, I don't know if I watch the show very often, but I do remember Burger King toys from the show. And you would get like a robot as well as a piece of the main robot from the show. Uh, I have no idea what happened to my toy or anything, but I remember having the piece of that robot lying around because we had like a bin of McDonald's and Burger King toys in our house as kids. And Mm. I always remember pulling this. I was like, what the (laughs) hell is this arm from? I'm just getting rid of it. Because as soon as I saw the case for this game, I instantly recognized that arm that I had in that drawer for years. Cubix is a really weird, uh, weird franchise in a lot of ways. I also remember the uh, the series being on on TV in North America, mm-hmm. uh, and specifically, I had to go back and obviously watch everything. Uh, and I I remembered him right away. I specifically remembered the one of the villains, I guess. I don't know what his name is, uh, but who looks exactly like Doctor Robotnik except with white hair. Of course. <laughs> and and this whole series is just like copying other franchises and ips yeah. like mm-hmm. very much sonic based in a lot of senses uh, of course it's it's just a copy paste of gundam in a lot of sense too yeah so, metabots, metabots. And even pokemon it's a 10 year old kid who's kind of like ash but has way less personality yeah uh gets this robot and uh and takes on the world with it and the the art style of this time was you know this is a real time capsule art style for sure yes it was oh, this uh to try and put this into perspective for people, if anyone watched Reboot, uh, mm-hmm. that's a Canadian show, uh, or just like think of Jimmy Neutron, but a worse animation style, <laughs> where everyone's like kind of shiny and plastic looking. It looks like everyone's getting molded. It looks like everyone's an action figure who can barely move. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they've melted. It's like an action figure that's been on your roof in the summer for too long, and you finally, your dad goes out to put the Christmas lights on, brings it down, and you're like, oh, I don't want this anymore, thanks. 
<laughs> yeah, the kids look terrifying, man. And like the main boy in the show, I think his name is Connor. So you can either choose to play as Abby or Connor in the game. So it's like Pokemon. You can pick between boy and girl. And then it's, it's an open world style exploration game. Also like Pokemon. Uh, the cool part about the game for me was the very opening of the game when uh, you, you have your little uh, tutorial mm-hmm. part, which for me, playing a Pokemon game is always the worst part because it's like, I'm 28 years old. I know how to do this. Even <laughs> I knew how to do this when I was five, buddy. Uh, but I love the uh, I love the tutorial in this game because it's like a housekeeping robot teaching you how to fight, and he's he's got an Austrian accent, so it sounds like yeah. Arnold Schwarzenegger is teaching you how to play Cubics. Yep, that's the other one too. I know there's so <laughs> many weird things that they like take, and the the game itself uh, as well is just also a, a hodgepodge of of different style of games. There's yes. like the Pokemon style, like you said, but there's also a big emphasis on mini games for some mm-hmm. reason. Uh, yep. Very Mario Party clone style as well in that sense. Uh, which I thought was weird. So it's like, think of it like Gundam mixed with Pokemon mixed with Mario Party. Even like some, I don't want to say Final Fantasy, but like the the battle system is really strange where uh, you have like a combat wheel that spins and you have to stop the wheel like you're playing Price is Right. And if the needle stops on red or blue, it decides whether or not you hit or miss. Mike, I hate everything about that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, this, I got frustrated watching this game a lot. This is not a game I would want to play. This is also a game that I had a a not fun time watching. We've watched a lot of games on this podcast. We've played a lot of these games too. Uh, And most of the time it's enjoyable to watch them, even if they're bad. But this one looked like a slog watching it like it was not fun to it was like watching a sim game i know and then like even the parts of the game that i guess are supposed to be fun like the uh, the strategy part where you're going to pick your combat method for the the battle like defense offense aggressive standard i found the whole menu system extremely confusing like it it would require so much practice for me like if i was uh, how old would I have been? Like 11, 12-year-old Neil playing this game. I don't think I would have had the patience to understand everything that's going on. I, it's supposed to be easy to understand, I'm assuming, but it just doesn't come across as that. The gameplay is super over-engineered. Like, I don't know yeah. what they were doing here. Like, the 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 show is very simple. It's a very simple <laughs> premise. And and all I can think of was just, like, executives having different ideas. And the con- mm. it was just a big compromise. Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, this this show was made to sell toys, <laughs> Yeah, uh, clearly. Uh, and that is one thing that I will say that the game does somewhat well is that the enemy robots are actually pretty well designed. Uh, like, you see them, you fight them, and, like, there was very little repetition in the robot design, yeah, at least from I what I saw. I did like the design of them. Like, they're very easy to easy for a kid to comprehend. It's a good starting point for to, to get into mechs if you were going to later on get into something like Gundam yep. or, custom, or Custom Robo. Um, I think that this would be a good starting block, no pun intended, but I don't think, I can't understand anybody liking this show for more than a summer. It being just, this would have been like a passing fad from the 2000s, clearly. Oh, for sure. And there is, to, to shout out our con- our favorite content creators once again, uh, there is a uh, a great video about uh, Cubics, this actual, um, this game specifically by the YouTuber Billiam, who is a pretty mm-hmm. like substantial person uh, on on youtube and uh and it's uh, it's a it was really funny to watch it and he basically kind of says what we just said here uh but goes more in depth into the the world of cubics but yeah cubics yeah. robots for everyone also just a really weird title it's like they're really trying to beat you over the head with no this is for you too yeah. like, <laughs> this is I don't for know. everyone yeah it's like a star wars movie coming like star wars we're for everyone i don't know it's just like yeah uh it's it's a little creepy actually yeah I agree. Anyway, yeah. Anyway, let's hit the back of the case and we'll move on to the next game. Join Cubics and the gang for fun-filled turn-based battle. 
No. All over <laughs> Bubble Town, robots of all shapes and kinds are going out of control. Solix has infected them, causing them to go haywire and destroy the environment. Oh no, not the environment. <laughs> not Connor, again. Abby, and the rest of the Cubics gang must track down these rogue robots before the evil Dr. K and his gigantic robot Colossal do. Yeah, uh, Dr. K, that's the, yeah, that's the Dr. Robotnik. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yep, he looks just like Dr. Robotnik, except for he's got like little pom-pom buns on the back of his head yeah but, good. but you're right the 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 robots themselves are really well done well designed and it they just should have pushed that more uh yeah. rather than you know having th- this hodgepodge of uh of game styles but anyways on to the next game neil on, on to the next game which it doesn't get any better from here Mike. we're <laughs> going to be talking about dinotopia sunstone legacy was released on june 23rd 2003 it's developed by vicious cycle software i love that name mm-hmm. they also developed uh robotech battle cry oh there we go some more mechs yep more mechs well this is a dinosaur game but yeah <laughs> <laughs> this game was published by tdk media active it's also on xbox it rates a five out of ten price today at around forty dollars this is an action adventure game uh, it's based on a series of books by James Gurney. I've never read yes. any of them, but yes. it's the Dinotopia books. I know of these books. I never read them, but uh, people gave them to us uh, when I was a kid. I'm pretty sure I have at least one of them. And so I, I did okay. a little deep dive, Neil, into the world of Dinotopia. It was kind of interesting. Okay. They are basically like fantasy books from the 90s uh, yep. that were for you know kids and teens mostly. The illustrations is what makes them really cool. And, you know, listeners, if you want to just Google these and just check them out, you might remember them because as soon as I looked this up, I just instantly recognized the the, the, the book covers because uh, they are quite distinctive. Uh, they actually yeah. reminded me of, like the I don't know, for whatever reason, Neil, they remind me of the Magic Treehouse series. I love those books. That's exactly what I was thinking, too. Oh, yes. When I saw them, I was like, yeah, this is just the Magic Treehouse. But, but with, with dinosaurs. Uh, with dinosaurs. And I'm pretty sure that there's even a couple of Magic Treehouse books that have dinosaurs in them, too. There are. Uh, but yeah, the, the the series has twenty books published. There's also a couple. There's also a show and movies. Oh, the movie nil. Varying quality. <laughs> oh, I, I'm 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 ready to talk about the movie. Okay. Yeah. Have you seen it? Uh, I I think I have. I remembered oh, no. some of it, but. Neil, the the cast for this movie is fantastic. No way. Okay, hit me with the cast. And you you know, uh, we love talking about voice acting cast for random movies like this. Mm-hmm. But oh, yeah. uh, Dinotopia, the movie, Alyssa Milano, Malcolm McDowell, Michael Clark Duncan, Kathy Griffin, Wayne Knight, and Tara Strong. What? This this was a money laundering movie, dude. This, <laughs> this had to have been. It's, it's not bad. It's a poor man's uh, land before time. It, sure. It, what, what it's year did almost it come identical. Uh, 2005. 2005. No way. Yeah. What did it have a theatrical release? I don't remember that. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> and it's live action. No, 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 no. It's it's animated. It's like that's animated. Land Land Before Time style. Like. Oh, sorry. Land Before Time style. Okay. That's basically what Land. It basically is Land Before Time, but if people showed up. <laughs> yeah, that's actually exactly what it is. the The whole premise of Dinotopia is a utopia of humans and dinosaurs living together in harmony the dinosaurs are sentient beings as well and uh it's they're they're kind of on this island think like skull island (laughs) (laughs) and they uh they're kind of trapped there but like they're they're making the best of the situation and it's uh it's interesting and then you know people are trying to find this island and exploit them kind of like king kong in that sense too so there's similarities with that uh, the, 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 how this kind of came up was that, uh, Gurney, the, the, the author, uh, he had, a, he worked for National Geographic and so they required him to work with archeologists to envision and paint ancient cities that no one alive today has ever seen. And so this kind of inspired him to create his own cities. And that's, you know, those were the original 
ideas for this. They were actually art prints for collectors, and he decided to just make them a series. And that's where the the, the book series really shines. Is the illustrations are unbelievably beautiful. They are uh, just the uh, the the game. Unfortunately, didn't translate fully to that. No, no. The game follows the story of a, a small family in this dinotopia, this utopia that you said, this fruitopia that I love. <laughs> Anytime I hear topia, it's a fruitopia. It's everything the best was, utopia. Everything was a topia in the 90s. What happened to that trend? Uh, but it follows two brothers, Drake and Jacob. The game starts off, their father is killed by a T-Rex, I believe, uh, while exploring the jungle of Dinotopia. Uh, after his uh, killing, Drake and Jacob go their separate ways. Uh, Jacob joins the a gang of dinosaur-hating humans called the Outsiders, and Drake takes on the role of a guardian of Dinotopia. So classic story. Classic story of two brothers. I'm just laughing. <laughs> Because I'm just imagining like West Side Story, but, but with with dragons, I'm just giving the snaps. Oh, this could be perfect with dancing dinosaurs. Oh, we could we should re, we're bringing back Dinotopia, man. That would be so good. It's a very cheesy story, though. Now, the the biggest problem with the game, because again, the books are are quite well done, and again, beautiful art. The biggest problem with the game is the focus on the humans. Yeah. Uh, what like that was just a terrible choice. And they look terrible. Like the people the, are all oh, yeah. doing these Scottish accents, which sound very stereotypical. I can't tell if they're fake or not. I'm assuming that they are. But the character models in this game are awful. Like the the characters yeah. move, but their mouths don't move. <laughs> so it looks like that they're just like people wearing people face masks. That's exactly it. And just like you have these such amazing uh, dinosaurs to, to draw from that were yeah. created in these books. And they just use them as like these NPCs that tell you where to go. Yeah. They're like the annoying NPCs too. They kind of have <laughs> yeah. like really high pitched squealy voices. They're kind of stupid. Uh, yeah. I don't know what, I don't know what the heck the, the point of this game is even. What's this game supposed to be? Like I couldn't understand what I'm supposed to be doing. Like what, why it's exciting. Like the environments are boring. It's all kind of. Like the colors are all very drab, yeah, uh, very muted, and then you look at the books and you're like, like you know, where was the disconnect here? I don't know. As, for, as soon as the game started up, though, I was like, wow, the main character, Breath of the Wild, straight up ripped off this main character's look. <laughs> yeah, the blue. He's got the blue tunic. Yeah, yeah uh, very, very similar to Link in Breath of the Wild. That's the first thing yeah. I thought of as well because you're seeing him in the same angle and everything too. Yeah, the combat style is also one of the reasons this game is not great. Mm -hmm. uh, just. You know, it's almost like hack and slash uh, at this point. You're basically just pressing A over and over again to hit. Yeah, it is. It's hack and slash, but there's no combos. So they take out, like, what makes hack yep. and slash is really fun is when you <laughs> add combos to them. But this is just, nope, just the one swing throughout the entire game. It's, luckily, it's only a six-hour game. It's not a 30-hour RPG or anything. Uh, I do no. have to give the developers a little bit of credit, though, because they did try and make a semi-open world feeling game, which is very rare on the GameCube. We've been yep. doing this podcast now for almost two years, and we rarely talk about fully even like seemingly open world games. Like it's been a while since we talked about one. I think the last one was like Lord of the Rings. On our open world episode too. Or, like yeah, the, the open world yeah. episode. Yeah, but like this one's not quite as open as that. It's more like um, the third age, Lord of the Rings, if you will. Yeah, uh, I got vibes of that, but just not as good. <laughs> no, no, not nearly as good. But then this one's like trying to be a semi or fully open world with, uh, with dinosaurs, which is rare even by today's standards. Like how is there not... I bring up Horizon Zero Dawn. I feel like I brought that up now three weeks in a row. But, like, it's just, like, how many open-world dinosaur games are there? Like, one, and that's robot dinosaurs. It's such a cool idea. I don't know why more developers aren't doing it. Uh, you, like, you never get to fight dinosaurs. You don't get to live with dinosaurs. We talked about Power Rangers. You get to play as a dinosaur. Where are the dinosaurs in video games? Where are the dinosaurs in, in video games? Also, media, too. You know, I was looking – I was thinking the other day – uh, while thinking of this game, you know, lying awake at night. In your, in your hammock asleep. under the stars. <laughs> That's right. And I was like, what? 
like, you know, where did all the dinosaur media go? Because in the 90s, like, that was the time mm-hmm. for dinosaurs. We got Jurassic Park. We have Land Before Time, of course. We have Dinotopia. We have Dinosaur. The, Turok, the, the dinosaur movie. hunter. We have, well, we have Turok. We have, <laughs> I, I mean, we have Ice Age. We have the Flintstones movies, oh, even. Yeah. Like, we have, it was a very much like an obsession with that culture, mm-hmm. uh, if you want to call it a culture. Like, you, like it was an obsession with that that style, and um, and it kind of went away a bit. You know, you don't see that as much anymore. No. And this was the last Dinotopia game, surprise, <laughs> 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 um, uh, 2003 for GameCube. Yeah. Last one. There were three before. There's, there was a PC game, which is actually technically what this is originally based off of. Mm-hmm. Um, there's the Dinotopia game Land Activity Center. <laughs> Dinotopia okay. learn how to type. <laughs> For PC and Mac. Uh, Dinotopia. Uh, the Time Stone Pirates for Game Boy Advance in 2002. So uh, four games, but uh, yeah, we haven't heard anything from the franchise video game wise. And I, I assume that the, the movie and the animated series didn't do great. So that's why we haven't seen them go back into that world i think the books still come out maybe or have at least come out some semi recently maybe maybe i think the 20 books that i found were like the original print so there might be some some random books that come out here and there i can see that i can see this coming out eventually as a series on one of the streaming services i doubt we're going to see a video game again Mm -hmm. Uh, but i think like within the next five years if you see a dinotopia on hulu like i think that's probably not too far from possible yeah, it's a great it's like it's a great stepping stone for kids to get into things like Lord of the Rings or darker uh darker yeah. series as well. Like I think I if I did actually end up reading these, I think I would have really loved them. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, me too. Uh I won't be looking for the game anytime soon though, but I will read the back of the case before we move on to the last game of the day. Mike, what do you think? Sounds good. All right, cool. Holy crap, the back of this case is terrible. <laughs> the T-Rex looks like he's like I don't know what to say. I was going to say constipated, but that's, I don't know if that's even possible. (laughs) The T-Rex looks incredibly awkward on this one. Dinotopia faces its ultimate challenge. Now you face yours. On the far off island of Dinotopia lives a society where dinosaurs and humans coexist. A lawless gang known as the Outsiders have invaded this peaceful isle, overrun the towns, and enraged the Carnosaurs. That's right, they call them Carnosaurs. Hmm. But now, it's personal. I love that. Your family has been taken hostage, and it's up to you to become Dinotopia's savior. Think you've got what it takes? I definitely do not have what it takes, but I could go for a Fruitopia right about now. Yeah, I think I could too. Actually, I I honestly had one recently, Neil. Oh yeah? Does the taste hold up as an adult? Mm -mm. (laughs) (laughs) Mm-mm. Great review. (laughs) All right, moving on to our last game of the day. We're going to be talking about Cow or KO, the Kangaroo. Round 2 was released on March 21st, 2006. It's developed by Tate Interactive, published by Atari in North America, Joe Wood Productions in Europe, and Konaga in Poland. That's where this game was actually produced, was in Poland. Mm -hmm. It's also on Windows, PlayStation 2, and Xbox. Rates a 6 out of 10. Uh, price today at around $35. This is an action adventure. But Mike, before we jump into it, I got to ask you, do you pronounce it cow or K-O? Well, it's actually pronounced K-O, but forever I thought it was pronounced uh, cow because it's K-A-O. Well, that's how the and goddamn parrot pronounces it in the game. I know, I know <laughs> that too. So, And uh, the developer actually recently tweeted um, and it got a lot of uh, a lot of likes and everything about how uh, the kangaroos are not cows, basically. 
It's just like, or kangaroos don't moo. Right. <laughs> like, yeah, 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 exactly, exactly. <laughs> but at first glance, like I even showed it to my girlfriend. And she was like, oh, yeah, it's cow, I guess. But yeah, uh, of it, course. But then I, I was watching uh, some reviews and I, I checked out the Nitro Rad video, which he reviews. I think he reviews all of these games and he called it KO. Yeah, he seems to review all the games that we, the, yeah. the, 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 the platformers and stuff he that we He seems to be really about. into platformers. I appreciate that about him. But uh, he just said KO. And then I looked at it and I was like, oh, I'm an idiot. That makes a lot more sense because he's a little boxing kangaroo. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's it's it's little boxing kangaroo and Neil. This is the third, you know, Australian specific franchise. Yeah, that we've gotten on the GameCube. You know, we have uh, KO, we have Crash Bandicoot, and then we also had Tie the Tasmanian Tiger. Yeah. So um, this was the the era of Australian games. It seems <laughs> like, and I had never heard of KO before this episode. Neil, have you? No, I, I had definitely not. I I don't ever see this game. Uh, on shelves at the stores it might be on the ps2 shelves more i suppose but uh first when i saw this you know round two it sounds like it's a sequel this at first i was like is this the only ko game is this the second one like where was the first one the game started off as a dreamcast game it was released on windows dreamcast and Game Boy advance which has got to be the weirdest combination of consoles that i have ever seen uh they didn't actually end up porting ko the kangaroo the first game to gamecube which is too bad that would have been a really neat uh Dreamcast port, uh, but KO mm-hmm. the Kangaroo Round Two was released in 2003. There's also a random PSP game, KO Challenges, for 2005, uh, and then there was KO the Kangaroo Mystery Volcano for Windows only in Poland, Europe, and Australia and Russia. And then uh, we're actually going to be getting a KO the Kangaroo game this year, which is wild because as soon as we I started doing research for this game, I got the trailer, which had just been released only maybe a couple months ago. So yeah. they're going to be releasing a fifth KO game this year, and it looks really good. It actually looks really, really good. <laughs> and I'm a huge fan of this now. Like, this is kind of – I've, like, roped into the, the KO lore Same. in that, this world. I'm I, in it. <laughs> I, mean, yeah, I was really impressed. I couldn't believe that this, like, a new game is coming out. It's also giving me a lot of hope for just um, other games. I mean, t- we talked about Tie the Tasmanian Tiger uh, a couple weeks ago. And how these games are surprisingly getting remakes. Yeah. Um, and it's that's great to see, right? So anytime we see these uh, these old franchises getting new life uh, is, you know, really makes me happy. Uh, KO, looking like they're going to take more of a Ratchet and Clank style. Ratchet uh, and Clank or like a Spyro with its collectathon, very yeah. collectathon-y, but uh, really heavily focused on combat. Like the punching mitts look really fun. Uh, the environments in the new game. I feel like we're just going to review the new game now. Uh, but the <laughs> environments look really, well. <laughs> might as well. Yeah, the environments look really bright and colorful. The music sounds like it's a ton of fun. Uh, and I was really excited when I saw that trailer and thinking, oh, maybe the GameCube version might be worth picking up to play too. You know, priced pretty good. It's a 3D platformer. We could have easily talked about this game on the 3D platformer episode. Uh, mm. it, it doesn't quite look right to me, the GameCube version, unfortunately. It just something about it seems a little bit off. It, it's straight up ripping off. This is in the Nitro Rad review. Uh, he compared it heavily to the Rayman games. It seems like almost every single level is in some way influenced by Rayman 2. Very much so. That was the first thing I thought of. Even like the color, you know, he yeah. looks like Rayman in a lot of ways and, and how he moves. And so that, yeah, that kind of threw me off too. It's just like, it's not quite right. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, this isn't about the game itself, but just I was thrown off by no uh, no games came after this on the GameCube. Yeah. You know, that, that was too bad. We have round two coming in 2003 and then uh, Mystery of the Volcano doesn't come to uh, to consoles even. Or, or North America. Or North America. Yeah. Which is just so weird. We got the PSP game. Yeah. 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 And that was it. Uh, yeah. That was it. So... 
that was kind of too bad. I guess sales weren't that great. It is cool to see like a Polish developer on here and who also, you know, was pu publishing it in Poland, mm -hmm. uh, which I thought was pretty cool. And one thing about the developer as well, which is one of the coolest stories and nicest stories I've ever heard, uh, during the Australian fires uh, that were before the pandemic that started started it all yeah. <laughs> um, in January of 2020, uh, the dev team uh, for uh, KO the Kangaroo, they gave away the game free on PC to spread awareness uh, oh, wow. of of the fires and and had you know links to donate to, to help and Red Cross and everything. So good for them. Yeah, I'd really be, cool. I'd be interested to know what what uh, convinces a Polish developer to make an Australian game based on a kangaroo. Like uh, you'd wonder why they didn't want to make something based on an animal from Poland. I don't know. See, you I can't even think. See, that's why I, they're not as fun. I was going to say, like, I don't even think. Fun. I don't even think I could think of an animal from Poland that they're most known for. If you're a listener from Poland, please, please let us know what animal you're most known for. Is it like how we have polar bears and moose and beaver? Uh, Australia has their kangaroos and their koalas. Poland, Poland. What do you have that that you can offer the world in terms of a video game mascot? Write in. Let us know. Not a kangaroo, clearly. No. And, uh, no. Yeah, it's. Uh, this game is just there's nothing necessarily wrong about this gamecube version no. it, it just there's you know so many other platformers do it better mm -hmm. uh and that's the that's the issue like even tack we talked about yeah. tack a couple of weeks ago uh i got i was thinking to myself you know i'm like wow tack in this situation would have done this better mm -hmm. uh and i do like the the animations i like the graphics i like the hud a lot very clean mm -hmm. for this time where you know we looked at games already dinotopia and uh dragon's lair with all this stuff on the screen all the time so this in comparison is super clean uh and i do like the the little uh i don't know what you call them like the comic book almost like pow that yeah. come up every time he hits stuff yes yeah i love that i, I do love that too my, my favorite thing about the game is just a small detail and i have no idea why they thought of this but when when ko goes into water his neck extends to keep his head above water. Yeah, I noticed that too. <laughs> it's so funny. Like, I guess that's a thing that like, kangaroos can extend their necks a little bit, but yeah. his is over-exaggerated where it gets super, like, skinny and, like, he's like a little submarine. It's really cute. But, uh, yeah, there's tons of charm in this game. Like, another little bit of, like, there's a little character that he has is, like, when he puts the boxing mitts around his eyes, That those are his binoculars. And he can zoom in. Like, he puts his hands around his eyes like you would, like you're a kid, like, looking through binoculars. And he can actually zoom in and out. I think that stuff like that is... It really just adds to the character. Like, there's a lot of character in this game, and I think that they a lot really, of love. Yeah, and I, I really think that they could make this a franchise again in 2022, which didn't think I'd be saying that two weeks ago. No, I really hope so, because yeah, like I I was really happy watching this gameplay and just and how fun it looks and how just you know it, it clearly there's so much love put into this game and so much time and effort with the details like you said mm -hmm. and you don't really get that in platformers especially no. in this era when there's a thousand 3d platformers to choose from yeah it's just a big studio pushing one out next right mm -hmm. it was it was very much on to the next one always with a sequel in mind uh sequel coming out the next year probably right so yeah. it was uh it was pretty even though this game isn't fully polished gameplay wise and it's you know relatively same old uh, as every other platformer at the time it's it's at least somewhat unique that i think uh yeah the franchise is worth going back to for sure i do like that you don't just die in the water too yeah That's good. yeah you can survive in oh I, I, i'm yeah. not a huge fan of that i hate dying in water in video games it's so stupid no give me lava like lava makes sense water makes no sense yeah. i'm really glad that the developers didn't like pitch this game and then they ended up having to put a a license skin on it like this could just as easily have been turned into like a ratatouille game and then that would be the end of it 
Yeah, never I was th- cow again. I was thinking that too. KO. Yeah, which is really nice mm-hmm. uh, that he didn't just die yeah. <laughs> with with this. But uh, very happy that he will be returning uh, in 2022. Mm-hmm. And honestly, Neil, I will probably pick that game up. I will too. Like I'm, I, I first I thought it was going to be a remaster of Round Two, but uh, it's a straight up sequel. I doubt we're gonna have to play the first four games because that'd be <laughs> hilarious if like you're gonna be lost and not understanding the lore, <laughs> <laughs> the KO lore. But, Mike, let's hit the back of the case of this game, and we will move on to our closing segments. But before we do, I also want to talk about the front cover of KO the Kangaroo, because there are some differences. If you live in a PAL region, uh, the case is actually really cool. You've got KO on the front. He looks really excited to be there. He's really happy, bright eyes. He's uh, got his little boxing gloves on there, his boxing shorts. There's a piranha behind him who also looks somewhat happy to see him, I suppose. It's just a really bright cover. really like it. Then the North American version rolls around and it's KO wearing a military helmet with nukes behind him and he's got like a band-aid on his face. He kind of looks like he's just survived D-Day. None of that is even in the game. <laughs> that, yeah, I thank you for bringing that up, Neil. Yeah, uh, yeah what the hell? <laughs> it is awful. Yep. Why? It's like, it, it's, it's taking the angry Kirby meme to the extreme to the extreme. Yeah. It's why are these, these massive bullets coming at everyone? And it's just like, you can barely see him. It has nothing like so far in the back. It has nothing to do with the tropical locations. It has nothing to do with Australia. We love Australia nothing to do with the game at all. I don't know what they were thinking. Like the, the, the European box art is beautiful. Like it's actually bright red, reds and blues and orange. Like I love it. And then ours just sucks. I don't want that on my shelf. No, it's disgusting. I, I, I mean, I assume that this is not the devs who did this. This was, you know, someone, a publisher being like, we need to make it more edgy. It's the North American box art of this generation. Everything had to be edgy, which is too bad because might have sold more copies. I don't know. We'll never know. All right. We'll never know. Yep. Anyway, back of the case time. Here we go. Grab your boxing gloves and get ready to rumble. This is interesting. The back of the case font, I think, is Times New Roman. I have not seen that yet. Oh, oh. Very please. interesting. I can, I can verify. You keep reading. Yeah, you're a font expert, right? Your job is to join K.O. the kangaroo on his search for the terrifying hunter, Barnaba, and his miserable servants who are causing nothing but trouble. And to top it off, they're keeping K.O.'s friends held hostage. Start your journey in the forest of the beavers and make your way past Thunder Mountain to the ocean lands and try to reach the forlorn treasure island. There's a lot here. You'll have to succeed in numerous adventures. Jump on your snowboard and race through the icy canyon of no return. Go for first place in a breathtaking speedboat race and accompany your feathered feathered friend, Carlos the Crazy Pelican, on his flight across the ocean until you are finally able to catch a glimpse of Barnaba's boat floating on the horizon in the distance. You are reading a different cover than I saw. Oh, really? (laughs) Yeah, you're reading the PAL cover. Oh, that's why. That yeah, makes sense. so the, the North American cover says, and in this corner, with the red gloves and boomerang, pummeling tail, and an amazing assortment of weapons, it's Cow the Kangaroo. It's KO the Kangaroo, <laughs> the hard-hitting superhero of the animal world. So much different, eh? Even like the, the wording on the back of the case. And the back of the case wow. uh, for the American one, uh, it's got a parrot uh, with like with a gun <laughs> and a um, and a band, like a, what do you call that? A belt? Like a, uh, like a band a machine gun. bullets or whatever? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yes. Yeah. Uh, around him and like a sombrero. It's, <laughs> it, it is, it's, this is like. It's Red Dead Redemption with it's KO. It's like Red Dead Redemption <laughs> with KO. Like this is night and day. What the hell? I didn't even realize I was reading the PAL one. If you check out the PAL version though, it is like a full summary and it's, it's very basic font. I wonder if this is normal with all the PAL games. That's one of the first times I think I've read a PAL box by accident. My yep. mistake. 
but while I'm reading the back of PAL cases, Mike, let, <laughs> let's uh, let's move on to our closing segments here. Uh, are there any games that we talked about today that you suggest the listeners pick up? I can kick it off right away. I think I think Dragon's Lair 3D is a must pick up for me. That's a Neil game through and through. Mm-hmm. Uh, looks like a ton of fun, cell shaded. I love that. It looks like a fun story. I love Don Bluth. So I think that that would just be a really cool thing to have on my GameCube shelf. And then for new games, I'm really looking forward to this new KO the Kangaroo game to play on Switch or PlayStation 4 or something. Looks like a really good summer game to play. I hope that there's co-op and mini games to play with you. Uh, But what about you? Do you have any thoughts of today? Yeah, uh, I would say for me, I would like to one day pick up uh, KO round two on GameCube just to have it. I I think it's 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 worth picking up if you can find it for relatively cheap. It's still a good game. It's not doing anything wrong necessarily. It's just, there's a lot of other platformers out there, like we said. So, and you know, if you could get the pal case, that's a lot better too. <laughs> yeah. But I am very much looking forward to playing the new version of KO. And I, I, th- I would, that would be my real recommendation is to buy that when it comes when it comes out definitely yeah absolutely i i think i would 100 percent agree with that and now other than ko we know what's happening with him this uh this year uh do you see any of these other games having a future on modern gen consoles i think that we covered dragon's lair pretty well that we think th- i think that dragon's lair will probably see another re-release like the original dragon's lair i think that we'll see that one until the end of time since it is a video game classic it is in a thousand and one video games to play before you die mm-hmm. i think that one is rightfully there but what about any of the uh, the other games that we talked about today? We talked about like Power Rangers and Dinotopia and Cubics. Do you think that we'll see those games anytime soon? Uh, definitely not Cubics. <laughs> no. I would say definitely not Dinotopia. Um, I, I, I don't think, well, yeah, I don't think we'll see Dinotopia in video games, uh, like we said. And Power Rangers, yeah, we will. Uh, especially because Hasbro just bought uh, Power Rangers outright. They are definitely going to retcon everything. They're going to make new shows, new toys and that means new games in some uh way shape or form so i think yes we will see a power rangers game on some console in the next you know five years i think you're right and i think at first i was thinking like oh i'd really love like a an open world not an open world i'd really love a triple a uh developed power rangers games that that lets you play you know as the power rangers fighting in megazords maybe it's like a an, an mmorpg or something where you can meet up with friends online and play and fight on other planets and stuff <laughs> but then mike you also mentioned the turtles games the ninja turtles games earlier in the episode and it got me thinking we are going to be getting a tmnt game later on this year it's an indie game though it's going to be an 8-bit art style kind of like the the uh the arcade games that you and i played Ooh. and turtles in time it's completely it looks like something out of 1996 it's going to be awesome i can't wait I would love an indie developer to be given the keys to Power Rangers and make something like what I love to play on SNES. I think that that would be cooler for Power Rangers, would to see them come back as a 2D brawler game uh, in the style of that game that I picked up on Super Nintendo all those years ago. I would love to see that, but in the 2022 art style. Uh, yeah, that would be that would be amazing. Yeah. I think like that's where I would love it to go. And normally I would say that probably won't happen, but if TMNT is happening, Mm -hmm. you know, in that style and Konami was nice enough to give them licensing uh, to an indie developer, then, you know, who knows that could totally happen to power rangers yeah i have no idea if konami is publishing it i don't think they're developing it uh well they they have rights to it so they they have to get you know they have to let someone do it yeah absolutely so i think that a developer uh doing a power rangers game would be really sweet like i'm playing the messenger right now and that as a power rangers game would be so much fun Ooh, yeah (laughs) yeah but mike while i'm sitting here patiently waiting for a power rangers game to bless my switch why don't listeners know what they can expect next week on episode 85 of the gamecube is cool podcast 
on episode 85. Maybe we'll see Tara Strong once again on this episode. <laughs> Soon to see her every episode. Uh, it's Fantasy Star Online and Skies of Arcadia. So it's the RPGs, uh, the Sega RPG specifically Sega. of the GameCube era. Uh, and these this is going to be a really interesting episode, Neil, because this is something that a lot of people don't really talk about, which is the online functionality of the GameCube. Mm. Well, no, not many people talk about it, Mike, because so few games supported it. <laughs> these these were the games. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so we'll be talking about that. That will be one of the themes of the episode. Um, and Fantasy Star Online just has a really interesting history as well. And Skies of Arcadia is a game that I hear about constantly. Mm-hmm. Everyone is always, well, for one, it's really expensive, but everyone's always posting it, saying it's a hidden gem. Uh, I, I've always heard great things about it, so I'm excited to talk about it and excited to have a couple of guests on to um, to talk about these games as well, because obviously we are not as versed in the RPG world as other people. I was just about to ask you, Mike, please tell me that we have guests joining us next week, because I am, I am, Truth be told, I'm terrified to cover Fantasy Star (laughs) Online. Uh, I know very little about RPGs. I know even less about MMOs. So I'm really excited to have a couple people on to talk about it. I'm just excited to talk about uh, GameCube functionality with the internet, as well as that amazing keyboard GameCube controller that we had for (laughs) Fantasy Star Online. Uh, But until then, Mike, thank you so much for your time today. And thank you, ladies and gentlemen, for listening to episode 84 of the GameCube was Cool podcast. New episode every Thursday on all the major podcast services. If you want to support the show, you can find us on Patreon. We are the GameCube was Cool. If you want a free way to support the show, you can follow us on Instagram. We are at the GameCube pod. And then you can leave us a five-star rating or a review so we can make the show better. Share us with your friends and family. Tell Don Bluth, Mike says hi. Thank you so much for the support, and we will see you next week. See you later. Bye-bye. Over 600 games you've never heard of. GameCube. The product of what happens when you think inside the box. GameCube. Trying to do Atari.com slash KO, uh, which the box told me to do. What? (laughs) Told me to go to Atari.com slash KO. Oh, the the kangaroo. I was like, (laughs) KO. Are you talking about Konami? What are we talking about? (laughs) It's not working, Neil.